Good morning, and uh, Happy New Year. I think it's still early enough in the year to say Happy New Year, right? Yeah. How are, um, how are your New Year's resolutions coming along? Yeah, are any of you doing any? Yeah, it's funny. Not many. It's like uh, I come across this rebellious attitude when I sometimes suggest to people, are you doing a New Year's resolution? I don't know what that is. And it's like, you know, you know I, I don't know what that is. I think, um, you don't have to do it at the beginning of the year, but I think there's value um, from time to time for us uh, just spending time uh, with the Lord, uh, taking a look at our life and, and asking um, God in um, what ways uh, he would like to see us change and uh, become more like Jesus. And um, I've been wrestling with that uh, again this time of year. At least it's an occasion uh, culturally that comes up for us to do that. And uh, I'd encourage you to uh, spend some time doing that. I, um, um, I want to share with you uh, one resolution that I've made um, uh, that so far has just uh, been beautiful. I, um, I want to spend more time uh, praying with my kids. Um, a good resolution, don't you think? Uh, moms and dads out there, feel free to, um, uh, to do that one. And so we started, um, we started last Sunday night, and uh, the boys and I went out in the deck. Uh, sun had just set, and it was beautiful out there, uh, and we prayed. And uh, it was beautiful. Jill, um, as always, is uh, present with her camera, and so uh, she snuck outside and captured the moment. And um, I thought I'd share the, the, the picture with you, uh, just how beautiful it is. to spend time (laughs) praying. (laughs) Yeah, I got you with that one, didn't I? I, um, If you're visiting, it won't make much sense uh, uh, if you don't know that um, I'm a huge Steeler fan. Um, You know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I... um, I'm serious about the resolution to, to pray with kids. Uh, this part was a joke, of course. But uh, I'm, uh, if both teams could win it, here's my perfect result, okay? My perfect result is Tebow plays great, sets every NFL record, and the Broncos lose. That's my perfect result. See, I'm trying to meet you halfway. I, I, I wore an orange and a black tie. So I'm trying to meet you halfway and uh, inviting you to meet me halfway too, but uh, I don't know how you're doing. You're a stiff-necked people. <laughs> but uh, anyway, hey, I hope it's a great game today, and it'll kill me if the Steelers are the ones that, um, you know, hurt Tebow's chance for a continued audition next season. I hope the Broncos are bright enough and strong enough uh, to give him that chance even come what may today. Amen? How can you not root for this remarkable uh, young man, but uh, we shall see. Hey, um, before we start the message this morning, I wanted to add uh, one more video announcement. Um, um, uh, every year I forget um, uh, um, to share with you um, something that I also do uh, in ministry and something that I'd love uh, increasingly more to involve uh, you, all of you one day, I would hope. Um, I spent some time in Israel. And uh, the last time I was there, a good friend of mine uh, put together 
this video uh, invitation um, for people to come. So uh, uh, let's watch. Good morning. As many of you know, I'm sure, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And they're well named as Gospel. It means good news. And those four Gospels indeed proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Christian scholars have labeled this place, the land of Israel, the fifth Gospel they say. And that's also well named because this land too proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. As you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and his mother and father Joseph and Mary laid him in a manger. But have you ever wondered or looked at the beauty of the picture that God paints with Bethlehem and a manger? Bethlehem, Bet meaning house, and Lechem meaning bread. The village founders no doubt naming their city for the city's trade of baking bread. And so God has his son, the bread of life, born in a bakery. Or Mary and Joseph laying the little baby Jesus in a manger certainly a picture of the humble circumstance in which Jesus came. But a manger too is where shepherds would put water so their sheep could drink when they were thirsty. And so a beautiful picture in that text is that God takes his son, living water, and pours him into a manger. Sometime after Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary moved north to Nazareth. And then we read, at some point, Jesus came to the shores of this place, the Sea of Galilee, and made a town called Capernaum his hometown. God took his son and put his son in the middle of all the worldviews at that time whether the worldview of the Herodians, those pro-Herod Jews just across the sea in Tiberias, or the worldview of the Zealot just next door, and even the worldview of the West, of Rome and Greek in the area of Decapolis, right on the other side from Jesus' hometown, the area of those religious Jews. This land proclaims the good news of Jesus as God has his son teach what his worldview is, his biblical worldview, and what it means to live life as a follower of that great rabbi. It's been some time since I've been here the first time in 1997, and I can't seem to stop coming back taking with me people and sharing with them 
what others have shared with me and hearing their stories, their stories of Jesus in their lives too. We'd love to have you come with us if you'd like. Come join us and learn with your feet as we hike this amazing land and see for yourself, experience for yourself that original context in which God sent his word, Jesus, but also out of which God wrote his word, the Bible. I hope you can join us. Come, let's go. Let's go tomorrow. Man, seeing that again makes me want to go. I would love to take you all uh, one day. I can only do 52 at a time because that's how much the bus holds. Uh, 53 if I stand. So if you're the 53rd person, we'll have a little talk. We'll see how badly you want to go. But uh, we go again uh, this year, uh, June 2 to 15. And um, I misplaced my brochure, but there's um, eight eight and a half by 11 color brochures out in the foyer. If you're at all interested, uh, nothing in terms of my walk with the Lord and the teaching in His Word has impacted me more, nor have I seen anything impact others more than experiencing God in the original context in which the Word was written and where God came physically in the person of Jesus Christ in that land. Would you pray about it and consider going one day? Uh, Eventually, I'd love uh, to have us all go. So... Um, every year, people say, oh, we didn't hear about your Israel trip, so uh, now you won't tell me that this year, right? Awesome. So I hope you consider going. Uh, thanks for your time in uh, looking at that. Um, I'm very excited uh, to, to begin a series um, this, um, uh, this week. Uh, in the few minutes that we have left, uh, I just want to crack open a bit and introduce that series. This message is going to be a little more teaching than preaching. Um, although I'll preach a bit because I, I, I can't help it. But uh, I just want to crack the door open a bit on the next series um, that is going to take a look at um, a fascinating group of people called the Old Testament prophets. Um, I can't wait to look at these fascinating men. Uh, there were women prophets in the Bible too, but uh, uh, none of them that we know of uh, wrote a book. Uh, that made it into the canon, at least. And so uh, we're going to look at um, six prophets in particular. Uh, 
Um, we won't have time to look at them all. By some estimation, there are 70 uh, prophets mentioned at least um, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. But we're going to take a look at six of them, three minor prophets, three major prophets. And so we're going to spend the time, you can tell by a schedule that's uh, soon coming on the screen, we're going to spend time with Amos, uh, Hosea, and uh, Micah. And then uh, we're also going to spend some time with Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel's got to be one of my favorites. I'll tell you why in a minute, uh, at least one of the reasons. And uh, this morning, if we've got time, I'll just give you a little bit of taste uh, with a surprise bonus prophet, at least one that I think you might be surprised uh, to learn is a prophet in the Old Testament. First, for each prophet that we look at, I have uh, two main goals, um, two main goals at least, there are others, but two that I want to keep in focus. First, I want to get to know these guys a little bit better. Uh, who are they um, as people? Um, God doesn't choose people out of a vacuum. Um, he chooses people who have a particular strength and weakness, perhaps especially weakness mix. And that's one of the most beautiful things about Scripture, that these men and perhaps women who led to the Scriptures, these men are not mere robots, computers, or dictating machines. God's Word is truly incantational, in, I'm sorry, incarnational. It's truly incarnational, in my opinion, in part, because God does the amazing, stunning thing of partnering with real flesh and blood people, their strengths, their weaknesses, uh, their worldviews, uh, stuff they're dealing with, and together with them, out comes this amazing word of God, inspired to be sure, but inspired in a way that God ordains he wants the people to bring something meaningful to it as well out of who they are uh, in the Lord. And so I want to spend some time, as much as we know about uh, these prophets, about who they are a bit. Second, um, once we're armed with that better understanding, I want to change the letters around in the word who and uh, come up with the word how. I want to ask, how is it um, that... The prophet's message, their specific message, is still hugely relevant and vital today. How does it relate to us today? If we're like most Christians and you do a poll, uh, polls have been done, there tends to be this distance that uh, many Christians feel toward the prophets. Oh, we know they came one day and they, um, uh, they, came and they brought God's message to Israel and Israel kind of went up and down, uh, doing well for a while, and then failing for a while, and a prophet doing well for a while, and failing for a while, and finally they didn't listen, and it all came crashing down. We know that um, um, prophets um, uh, predict and foretell the future, and uh, usually around Christmas time, um, lots of studies come out where we want to find and look at all of the prophetic prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah in particular. Uh, and so prophets do that too. But all of that, if that's the only thing we can appreciate and know about prophets, tends to distance uh, the details of their message at least. 
to us today. And the echoes of that message that they came and screamed passionately to God's people, they're still reverberating in the heavenlies today, if we care to listen. But somehow, or for some reason it seems to me, because we think, well, that was for another time and another place, we've lost the ability to hear or listen for that echo. It's there, but we've lost our connection or the relevance, perhaps, of the specific message of those prophets. It's my goal, one of my goals this series is to try to rediscover that. To have, when you open the books of the prophets we're looking at, or any prophet that you look at, that God is still speaking in every jot and tittle of his word to you today in your life. So I want to keep those two things in mind. To help us better prepare throughout the series, I'm going to try something new. Um, uh, Each Monday sometime, I'm going to put a link on our website. I think, uh, John, we're going to call it something like Digging Deeper. And if you click on that link... um, you'll find a Bible passage to read and a couple of questions. I'm going to ask, um, plead, encourage, exhort, for you as much as you can to spend time doing that. God promises when we take the step in preparing our hearts and preparing that soil, God will honor that. And you will come the following Sunday if you take that time and you will have your hearts more prepared, and you will get more out of that encounter with God and his living word. So I'm going to try to do that for this series, and uh, uh, we'll see once if you like it and are blessed by it. I'm sure if you try it, you will. So please uh, uh, look for that beginning Monday or Tuesday, um, well, beginning tomorrow or Tuesday for next week's prophet, um, who is Amos. Okay, um, I want to dive into the series uh, with asking a couple of questions. First, what is a prophet. What's a prophet? If you were going to write down the job description of prophet, what would you write? Now, I'm sure this is a long list, but again, I want to focus on two things in particular that I'd like for us to try to uh, to keep in mind and keep close as we study the prophets in the series. First, when we think prophet, I would love for us to think, okay, these men and women came to comfort and to warn. They came to comfort and to warn. Comfort and to warn God's people. Isaiah puts it beautifully, the comfort portion. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. They bring words of comfort to a people who need to fully understand and fully grasp the revolutionary idea that there is one and only one God. Revolutionary, I think we'd all agree in the time of early Israel. But I would say perhaps, well, I wouldn't add perhaps, I would say for sure a revolutionary idea in today's world, too, part of that relevance of what it is that the prophets have to say. The other side of that comfort coin is the warning coin. Jeremiah 16 in the the day of disaster chapter. 
God says to Jeremiah, when you tell these people all this, that's going to happen, and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What, uh, what's gone wrong? What sin have we committed? Then say to them, God says to Jeremiah, it's because your ancestors forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and didn't keep my law. And so prophets comfort and they warn. Now, that part about warning against following other gods leads to the second thing that I want us to think about when we think prophet. First thing, they comfort and they warn. The second thing is, and I'm often hesitant to use battle imagery because of the baggage that can come with that, but I can't avoid it here. And it's in its best possible and needed use here, in my opinion. I want you to think of the prophets as warriors, spiritual warriors. I want you to think of them as generals appointed by God in his army, the God of the Most High. Appointed by God as generals to wage war. And the war that they're all fighting is against the common enemy. Biblically. And as soon as I say common en enemy in a group of Christians, uh, the answer is, oh, that's the devil. And uh, technically that's correct. But I want to become a little more specific in this series because the Bible rings very clear more specifically what the enemy is that the prophets are called to wage war against. And in a word, that enemy is idolatry. They come and they try to rally God's people, try to lead God's people, try to encourage God's people to get up and get involved in waging that dire war against idolatry. So those things, at least, I'd like you to remember about the prophets on that last one in waging war, it is very telling. And it is no coincidence that the very first two commandments that God gives at Mount Sinai, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. For I'm jealous for you. It is very telling. And it's not a coincidence that the first words out of Jesus' mouth when various experts ask him to summarize all of the, the, all of the Scripture, the very first things out of his mouth is, oh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might. You hear the alls? <laughs> In other words, only him, no other God. So the prophets are generals come to wage war. A prophet comforts and warns. And a prophet serves as a general to help people in a very real and very spiritual war against idolatry. Second question for us this morning by way of introducing and preparing this series on the prophets First question, what is a prophet? Second one, 
What is a prophet like? What am I getting at there? Um, two things I want us to focus on. And there are lots of things we could put on this list. Uh, a, prophet is passion for, a prophet is passionate for obedience. Yes, a pro there are many things, but two things that God's put on my heart. I want us to see when we study these prophets and recognize and look for, one, a prophet is imperfect. So they sin. And it's an amazing thing to even look at that even while they are wrestling with their own sin because they have their own personal issues even while they are learning a lesson at the very same time that they are teaching and bringing a lesson God relentlessly works on them and shapes them and helps them with their own personal issues even as they bring the message to God's people, and we can learn from that. Something similar is this next one. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, let me explain it. Second, a prophet is eccentric <laughs> by usual standards. They're, they can be really weird. And this is where Ezekiel comes into play. I, I, sometimes I think, man, Ezekiel, you know, you're a couple slices short of a loaf. I, Sometimes they're weird because God tells them to do weird things, and sometimes they're weird, I think, out of their own stuff. But the prophet, a prophet stands out in some way that most would say, well, that's different. That's different. What, what, what are you all about? Ezekiel, by chapter 4, right? He's eaten a scroll. Says it tastes like chicken. No, says it... <laughs> Says it tastes like honey. Okay? He, uh, he shaves off the hair from his beard and his head with a sword. He gets out a scale and he divides it into thirds. And he takes one third and he burns it up. He takes the second third and he carries it around a city, hacking it some more with a sword. And then the last third he scatters to the wind. Except for a few strands he tucks in his belt. Well, that's a little weird. And then, all by chapter 4, he finds a chunk of clay and he draws a little picture on it, makes a little model of Jerusalem. And then he builds a little model siege ramp and he sort of plays, you know, war. He lays siege to his little chunk of clay. And then he lays down on his left side only for 390 days, tied with a rope, presuming so he doesn't accidentally roll over when he falls asleep. When he's done with that, he lays on his right side for 40 more days. And when he's done with that, he goes and he finds where he last is, left his little siege and chunk of clay, and he prophesies against it. Well, that's all a little weird. And it draws attention. Now, on these last two, this imperfect and this eccentric, often I'm guilty of, maybe you wrestle with this too, you, um, in giving the respect and the attention to those great biblical heroes, we can mistakenly put them so high on a pedestal that makes us say things like, well, I could never. 
I could never be like that. And part of the beauty of God's grace in his transforming message is, oh, yes, you can. And by the time you get done looking at some of those biblical greats, you can say, man, Ezekiel, as imperfect and weird as he was, can nevertheless be used by God if he's humble, if he's open, if he's obedient can nevertheless be used by God to comfort and to warn and to wage war as a general in God's army. Oh, if Ezekiel can do it, if Samson can do it, if these imperfect weird guys can do it, with God's help, so can I. And so that story within the story of their message is something I'd like to look at with you a little bit. I'm over time, so let me try to wrap it up. I wanted to give you that surprise prophet. In Hebrew, the word for prophet is navi, N-A-V-I. Say navi. My mnemonic in seminary to remember that prophet meant navi is, I remember Jonah, who's a prophet, got in a boat and sailed, so he's in the Navy. So you can use that if you want. Uh, Navi. Um, Who is the very first person in the Bible, who is called Navi. If you know outright because you've studied it, don't answer, but the rest of you, if you haven't thought of it before, who's the very first person in the Bible that you might guess is called Navi? I heard it right off here. I was surprised. It's Abraham. Genesis 20, the first person the Bible says is prophet, and it's God speaking to the second king that Abraham tried to give Sarah to. (laughs) Abraham's the first Navi. Who's the second? Who might you guess? Yeah, Moses is a common, and make no mistake, Moses is the prophet in the Old Testament. And so Jesus being the second Moses is like the most uh, amazing complimentary thing you could say to Hebrew ears ever. Because Moses, but he's the fourth mentioned. You know who the two before him are? His brother Aaron and his sister Miriam is the third. Isn't that fascinating? Let me close with a little insight into Abram, specifically with the binding of Isaac, and try to wrap together a bit uh, these early ideas that I know uh, feel new maybe to many of you, but will flesh out in the coming weeks. Many have thought, what in the world is up with Abraham um, and that story of binding Isaac? Um, What a cruel thing for God to do. You can read about in commentaries. And what's up with Abraham that um, he questions God when he's talking about the covenant and the promises to keep kids? He wrestles with God when God threatens to um, uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Abraham has chutzpah. And he asks a lot of questions and he wrestles with God. But God comes and says, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and go sacrifice him. And Abraham goes, okay. Do you ever wonder about that? In my opinion, what might be going on there is, I think it's highly probable that when God first came to Abram, he was an idolater. Everybody was. And part of idolatry at that time is, those, all those other gods, it involved, many of them, the idea and concept of child sacrifice. This is something maybe Abraham was half expecting. 
So he wasn't surprised. And so what would God do with this first prophet to send a huge, maybe the first shot fired in the biblical war against idolatry? What would he do with him? Give him this huge, yes, hard, but experientially loving lesson. Abram, I want you to know and feel in your bones with everything that I am not about child sacrifice. And I am different and only from all these other gods. And Abram continues to struggle with being imperfect. He takes matters into his own hand with Hagar. Hmm. He lies about Sarah being his sister, and she ends up in Pharaoh's house. And he does it a second time with a, a different king. And through there, you can see God wrestling with his imperfections and teaching Abraham, this first prophet, about how he needs his people to comfort and to warn and to wage warfare against idolatry. My hope is in this series, by the time we get to the end of it, I'll give you a preview of the final sermon on March 18. I'm not too worried about it because it's a long time. Maybe you'll forget. I want to ask at the end of this series in terms of the relevance of the prophets in their lives and their personal wrestle and their message, can we be prophets today? Should we be? I understand to some are given the gift of prophecy this is a little bit different idea. At least, should we have a bit of the prophetic in all of us, this side of the cross, with the now new wholesale indwelling of the Holy Spirit in community, should there be a bit of the comforting, warning, waging war against idolatry, wrestling with God even as we do in humility and transparency with our own stuff? Should there be any of that in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this opportunity to look at this fascinating group of people that you worked and walked and partnered closely with in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Father, I ask that you would give us ears to hear again, to hear if we've forgotten it in history the very relevant and needed echo of their cry and their walk and their life today for us, each of us, and in the people of God, the church here at West Bowles. Give us ears to hear and hearts and minds and hands and feet to respond in this new year. Father, we love you, and I just ask this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction? And then um, I'll let you go and join the visitors downstairs for our luncheon. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, his shalom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great week, West Bowles. We'll see you soon.